three weeks in America, very different place to the UK. It's a great place, and we loved it. And um, we had a, an amazing holiday where we, was, we went to seek the presence of God, and um, it's very, the Lord's made it really clear to us that we're right where he wants us to be, and we're, we're very excited about that, being with you, planning the, the next stage of our lives, possibly even to our death, being in this place. I'm excited about that, because I think God's going to be doing great things. Not too soon. <laughs> and um, and uh, whilst we were away, uh, we, we had an amazing time where we spent... Ten days with Graham and Sue Souch in their lovely home in Idaho. And um, I'm learning to fly fish. I don't know whether anybody's done that, but it, Idaho is fantastic. They've got hundreds of miles of river where you can fly fish. And anyway, the last day, we thought we would, we would cook some of our fish. They're, they're brilliant, the Souches, because they have everything prepared. And Graham just seems to generate a fire and... and <laughs> Sue's got amazing salads ready. Anyway, I just have to tell you something. That when you, when you cast this fly on the water, if you manage to get into a fish, you have to do what's called strip. So, and strip means you don't reel, you don't reel it in because you've got lots of line out. You don't, but you hold the line and you pull the line tight so you've so you, you got the fish taut on the end of the line. And... Um, you strip. So on this day, we were, we were planning to catch our fish, and we hadn't caught any fish. So I'm praying to the Lord, Lord, please let me catch a fish. <laughs> we, we were literally fishing for our supper, and um, there was a lovely potato salad, but fish, were, <laughs> fish, fish would have been nice. Anyway, right at the end, when it's getting right to the end of the day, um, I hook into this fish, and there's these two women, Kim on, from behind me and Sue from the side, wading across this river, I'm on a stone, to get to me to make sure that I land this fish. Sue's, Sue's shouting at me, strip, strip, strip. <laughs> Kim's going, keep it, keep it going. She's coming with the net to try and make sure that we land this fish. I should, I've got pictures, I should have showed it to you. Um, anyway, we did, and it was, um, it was a three-way effort, wasn't it? And Sue's a great fisherman. She'll, she's got a picture of a big fish she caught. She'll, she'll show you sometime about her big fish. Anyway, t- uh, today, um, this is just sort of finishing off the end of, um, the, the end of our series in uh, 1 Corinthians. And... Um, uh, the, the original title of this sermon was Growing Old and Facing Death Well. But how many know that not everybody, grow old, not everybody grows old before they die? Sixteen years ago this weekend, Kim and I went to um, an Eagles concert. If you're old enough, you remember this group called the Eagles. Anybody know the Eagles? Very good. Um, and it was fantastic. We, it was in Birmingham. It was, the concert hall was absolutely packed. We were just on a Friday evening, that was. We'd gone there with um, 
three of our boys, and we'd left one of the other sons at home, Joel, and because uh, he wanted to be with his mates. And so we went to this concert. It was fantastic. We got up Saturday morning. We were, we were still on a high from the Eagles concert. And it was a beautiful Saturday morning. And we're all standing outside, and there's a telephone call. And I could see my sister-in-law looking at me, perplexed. And she, I'm sort of thinking... And anyway, she gives me the phone. And on, I, I take the phone, and there is this demented woman on the end of the phone, screaming, shouting at me. I, I, I'm trying to make headway of it all. And eventually, I pick up the words, Joel is dead. And the fear, I feel it now, the fear came over me. Kim saw it in my eyes. She starts to panic, just not knowing where to put herself screaming at me, what, what, what? And I have to convey the news that our son had been killed in a road traffic accident. So I changed the title of this um, sermon from Dying Well and Living Well. And it's not our only experience of early death. Earlier this year, I had news that my niece's husband, lovely, lovely, lovely man, James, was short of breath, panicking, went into hospital, thought it was a routine thing. The long and the short of it was, he died in hospital, 36. So death is something that I've, those are two of my stories, or lots of other stories could tell you. You've got your own stories. If you live, death is part of life. And um, I want to talk to you a little bit today about dying well, what it is to, to die well. And I think that uh, to do that, or to, to have a, give yourself a good chance of dying well, we need to live well as well, if that makes sense. Uh, hopefully I can unpack that a little bit to you yesterday. We have seemed to have had a weekend of death this weekend. We went to a bereavement seminar yesterday, which was fantastic, really helpful about how, how to draw alongside people that are dying or who have just family who, who've just uh, had someone in their family die. The, the one sure thing of life is we're going to die. Let's just read some scripture from the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. 
And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Evidently, the Corinthians were having trouble with believing in the resurrection. What would happen after they died? Where would they go? Does it exist? We live in a world where people are very fearful of dying, of living even. And some people um, read even this week a, man, a young man sadly struggling with mental illness wants to go to um, Switzerland to Dignitas to end his life believing that that would be an end to it all. And we try and keep our children from death. We don't want them to encounter death. We want them to be happy all the time. I think that's a big mistake. Part of life is that those that we love and hold dear will die. And the natural order, of course, is that we grow old and our children bury us, not that us bury our children or some younger member of the family. Thankfully, it's not as Paul describes, because as elsewhere in the scriptures, he is at odds to point out that the scriptures speak to us a lot about dying. And even about life after death, about being with Christ, that there is a resurrection of the body, that this isn't all that it is to be, that there is a life after this life. That from the beginning of time, God has always wanted relationship with his children. And we see that in stories from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we see and read it particularly about the resurrection of Christ and his death upon the cross, that he would pay the price once and for all for our sins, that we could be restored and reconnected to the Father. It's the, one, it's the most wonderful thing. And uh, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Without Christ, we're lost without hope. With Christ, there is the promise and the hope of eternal life. So death is a part of life and the Bible has a lot to say about it. And if that weren't true, this would be no better than meeting at the Rotary Club, this little gathering. And there wouldn't be any point in me standing up here. And you wouldn't even want to hear me. 
I'd like to read to you um, just an excerpt from a book called um, Finding Sanctuary, uh, which, which was a book that came out of um, a BBC television series on, um, of uh, a monastery in Worth Abbey, uh, down near Crawley, who took some people off the streets and uh, put them through this program. These are, these are um, not church people, just took people off the streets who agreed to it, and they went through this program. And the outcome of this was he wrote a book called um, Finding Sanctuary, this chap called uh, Abbot Christopher Jamison. And that, there's, there's, there's the book. So he tells this story about some, about some Trappist monks. He says, the Abbey of Our Lady of the Atlas, that's the, mo- the title of the monastery building that they lived in, lies in a small village called Tiberine, about 60 miles south of Algiers. And it has been on this site since 1937, when a community of French Trappist monks settled there. In the early 1990s, they found themselves caught in a vicious civil war between the military government and the GIA, an armed group who wanted to end all Western influence in the Islamic State that they hoped to establish. In 1993, the GIA issued an ultimatum that all foreigners must leave the country by the 1st of December under pain of death. There were few Christians left in Algeria, but these monks chose to stay. They stayed out of love for Algeria and especially out of love for their Muslim neighbours, with whom they had excellent relations. The villagers were also being terrorised and saw the presence of the monks as a reassurance. In the absence of a village mosque, the villagers had the use of a room in the monastery for prayer and the monks and villagers ran a market garden. On Christmas Eve 1993, an armed GIA group penetrated the monastery and the leader demanded that the monks and the prior, a man called Father Christian, compromised themselves by helping the GIA. Father Christian refused his demands. And the leader said, you have no choice. To which Father Christian replied, yes, we have a choice. Father Christian knew that recently this man had killed 14 Croatian construction workers who had lived nearby and that he was renowned for his cruelty. Father Christian informed him that the presence of guns in the monastery was not allowed and that the arrival of the group had interrupted the monks as they were about to celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace. Surprisingly, the leader apologised and the gunmen withdrew but said they would return. The monks now knew that there was an immediate danger of death at the hands of these gunmen. After agreeing that three should leave, nine remained. These monks now had to struggle with constant fear. And it was at this time that Father Christian wrote a letter or testament to be opened in the event of his death. Throughout 1994 and 95, several members of Catholic religious orders were murdered by the GIA. Yet the monks continued in their regular monastic life. During these two years, the monks' life was characterized by a deepening sense of communion, of Koinonia, which is the Greek word for a deep fellowship in the spirit. There were inevitable tensions between them 
but they remained focused on the task of building communion. Communion with each other, with God, and with their Muslim neighbours. In a letter to Father Christian, another monk described their task, that in our day-to-day relations, we should be openly be on the side of love, forgiveness, and communion against hate, vengeance, and violence. By having death daily before their eyes, eyes, their lives took on a new energy of love. They really were running while they had the light of life, knowing that each day the darkness of death might overtake them. Then one night in March 1996, gunmen arrived and abducted Father Christian and six other monks. A month later, an ultimatum was issued to the Algerian government Free all GIA prisoners, or the monks would have their throats slit. In May that, in May that year, that threat was carried out, and, sev- and the seven Atlas martyrs joined the growing number of Christians who had given their lives out of love for their Muslim neighbours. The testament of Father Christian was now opened, and its beginning read as follows. When we face the final goodbye, if it should happen one day, and it could be today, that I become a victim of the terrorism which now seems ready to engulf all the foreigners living in Algeria, I would like my community, my church, and my family to remember that my life was given to God and to this country. Father Christian had come to see that his death was a moment of gift, one that required great mindfulness and great purity of heart. This purity of heart even extended to his assassin, of whom he writes at the end of the letter, And also you, my last-minute friend, he will not have known what you were doing. Yes, I want this thank you and this adieu to be for you too. Because in God's face, I see yours. May we meet again as happy thieves in paradise, if it please God, the Father of us both. Amen. Inshallah, which means God willing. I wept when I first read that. I thought it was the most Christ-like story of these men that gave their lives for their community. They died well. We have a choice. That's what I pick up from that. It's interesting that what God's already been speaking to us about today, we have a choice about putting him first in our lives, in every area of our lives, in our living and in our dying. It seems to me that if we're going to die well, We have to plan to die well. It's a choice. 
These are not in my notes, but we saw that wonderfully portrayed, did we not, with Mark and Julie earlier this year. Didn't Julie die well? The testimonies that we heard of their faith in God, frequently coming into God's presence. I'm not on Facebook, but Kim is. And um, uh, there's a lady called Jen Reese Larkham that many of you know, runs this prayer ministry called Beauty from Ashes, with a lady called Carol. And her, her husband, John, who's one of the, one of the um, uh, counselors and person that's involved in prayer ministry, he's dying and in his last days of cancer. And it seems to have gone on for a long time. And he's been keeping a blog about how he's dying. And I noticed on Kim's Facebook last night that um, Jen wrote a message that John's been moved to a hospice. And she and Carol are spending most of their days with him. And she was just explaining about how they're reading scriptures together and reading Psalm 91, the sense of God's presence, so came into the room. Almost like there isn't even a step from this life to the next. It's just a gentle passing on from this life to the next life. From the presence of God here to the presence of God in eternity. And I think that's an important point because we have a choice about how we live. The psalmist says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. I feel like I sound like my mum and dad when you say life is short. It's over before you know it. Have you heard your mom and dad say that? Or your grandparents? Another psalmist puts it like this. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. What does this look like? What does that look like for you? Teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. Ask yourself that question. When you go from this building, and when you think about it, you might have members in your family that are dying right now. What does that look like? What is the psalmist suggesting we should do? 
For me, it's about having Christ at the center of my life. I'm not a monk. But I take time each day to spend time with Christ. I read my Bible in the morning. And I try and allow the scriptures to speak to me. Say, God, what are you saying to me today? Is there something you want me to understand? Some area of my life, as Adam said earlier, that you'd like me to change? Will you guide me so that I can live my life for you? I try and listen for him. And I'm learning, and it's taking me a long time but I try and stop at numerous points in the day just to turn my gaze upon the Lord. Tell him I love him. I need him. I depend upon him. Help me. It's a common prayer of mine. Help me. I worship him. Whether at my desk whether I'm fly fishing, whether I'm playing golf badly, I worship him. I tell him I love him. I want him in my life. My mom, when she was dying, she'd been unwell for about 18 months. And it became apparent to me that this was coming towards the end of her life. And I, I tried to talk to her about that because I wanted to help prepare her for death. And she was wonderful how she faced it. And there was one particular day, I've told you before, but I'll tell you again. Ten days before she died, she was in her hospital bed She'd lost masses of weight. She was five or six stone. My brother and I were there by her bed. She started to tell us how much she loved us, how proud she was, what great sons we were. She just loved on us. We loved her. We were all weeping, crying around the bed. And I realized she was saying goodbye to us for the moment. It was a precious, it was, it was an emotional time, but it was very precious. And I think, um, let me think, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. As the monks did, every day thinking this might be their last. The thing that was key to them was being in close communion with their family and loved ones. You know, the monks, that's their, that's, that's their family. That's their community. I think 
the same is true for us. We don't know when we're going to die. Have you got unresolved issues with members of, family, of your family? Does your wife know how much you really love her? I'm trying to be a... I'm always trying to be a good husband. But I'm trying to be a, an even better husband. I'm trying to love my wife like Christ loved the church. And amazingly, it has a, a reciprocal effect, which is, which is very nice. And if you're single, how are you doing with your friends? Are you in good relationship with your friends? Are you loving your friends? Do they know what you mean to them, what they mean to you? This fellowship in the Holy Spirit, this deep bonding of love, between God's children. I love that message to his last minute friend. I don't doubt that Father Christian was praying for this man. Right to the very end. So Christ-like, Father forgive them for they don't know what they do. He's praying for this Muslim brother in whom he saw the face of Christ. I wonder if you're fearful of death. You wouldn't be alone. The Apostle John had this to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the word through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. John's telling his reader, we live by faith, and we die by faith. If you've put your faith in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. And there is no fear in death. He later goes on to explain very clearly and demonstrate that Jesus had the power over death when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He said to Mary and Martha, Jesus, if you'll believe... This is for the glory of God. Mary said, yes, I believe. Jesus said, she said, yes, I believe that there will be a resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I could ask you the same question. Do you believe this? Salvation is through Christ alone. That's why John can write that. If salvation isn't through Christ alone, as Bill Johnson said, I heard him say recently, the father is very brutal and unkind to his son to put him to the cross. But the truth is, Jesus died on the cross for all. It's not his will that any should be lost. His heart is for everyone to be saved, for all to be assured that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And that when we pass from this life to the next, Christ will be there to meet you. My friend Sophia, she doesn't know, I'm going to mention this, but she told me her story about her out-of-body experience of meeting with Christ, the fragrance of Christ. It's a long story. You need three hours to hear it. (laughs) But she'll tell you the story, how Jesus came to her in her spirit, as real, as real as you sitting next to her, the fragrance of him and the brilliant light, the presence of God, You didn't want to leave, did you, Sophia? For all those that are in Christ, there is the promise and the assurance of eternal life with him forever. Finally, living by faith in Christ, when we're living, and if you're on your deathbed as as um, Papa John has been doing over recent weeks and months. It, It sends out a great message of hope to those that don't know Christ. And the world is in desperate need of hope. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments, His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. We had a man who went to a church service in America. And there was a man standing next to me called Mike. And he doesn't know me. And he turned to me at the end and he said to me, Do you have sons? We have six sons. I said, yes, we have sons. He said, how are they doing with God? So I said, at which point Kim interrupted and said, they're not walking with the Lord. He said, can I pray for them? And he prayed for their salvation, that they will come into the presence of God and commit their lives to him, which is our daily prayer. And he was weeping as he did. His heart was for them. 
I want to say that as we live our faith, and even to the point on our death bed, our faith leaves a great legacy to our family and our children. They might not be walking with the Lord right now. But you watering down or diluting what you believe in to draw closer to them rather than God is not a good move. Our choice is to walk closer with the Lord. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you fearful of dying? Don't be embarrassed if you are. I'd love to pray with you at the end that God will give you the assurance of salvation and eternity with him. Secondly, do you need to get back on track and live well in order that you might die well? Seems to me that's what God has been saying to us today about putting him first. And thirdly, if you don't know Christ, if you're aware of all your sins and the sense of guilt and condemnation, I want to say to you, Jesus can take that right now from you. You can go from this building, having handed that all over, and know that you have eternal life in Christ. I'd love to pray with you at the end, if that's you. Let's stand and we'll pray together. Lord, you said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live, and she live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Lord, we just tell you that we believe this today. We believe in you. We're so grateful for all that you've done for us and that you've modelled how to die well. We want to die well, Lord. I want to live well for the rest of my life. And when it gets to the end, I want to die well forever having you in my heart and my thoughts and on my lips. Amen. My final word is I've gone over, but there was Cardinal Basil Hume who led the Roman Catholic Church. I I went on an Easter walk one year. And that man was so full of the Holy Spirit. I felt God's presence being in his proximity. We were were walking along Victoria Street and there was little stopped off at certain places for little talks. And he gave a talk at one of them. And I remember him saying at this Easter message, if on my deathbed, he's died by the way, if on my deathbed a fellow brother could just bring the cross down to my lips that I might kiss the cross.
I had no more words left in me, just so I could embrace the cross. I think that's dying well. Amen.